Welcome to the Legally Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Hanna. This week, I'm delighted to be joined by Chidi Onyechi. Chidi is currently Associate at Latham & Watkins, working in the project development and finance practice. She is also a member of the firm's Africa practice. Chidi is also a non-executive director of the Making of Black Britain project, a governor at Connaught School for Girls, and was previously a trustee of the Young Advisor Charity. Chidi doesn't stop there. She's also the co-founder of an online platform called the Ultimate Guide Group, which focuses on providing information to the black community on careers, financing, property investing, and wellness. And if that wasn't all impressive enough, Chidi was also honored by Involve the Inclusion People as a future leader in 2021. So a very, very warm welcome, Chidi. (laughs) Hey, guys. That sounds like such a nice introduction. So thanks so much. Our absolute pleasure. And it's amazing to have you on the show. And before we dive into all your wonderful achievements and what you're doing for the legal industry, we do have a customary icebreaker question here on the show. So on the scale of one to 10, 10 being very real, how real would you rate the hit TV series Suits in terms of its reality? Oh, God, like one. (laughs) I wish I looked that good every day. Fair enough, fair enough. I think given that you're at a a serious US law firm, you can give that a proper one rating. So we will move swiftly on. So let's start at the beginning. Tell us a bit about your family background and and upbringing. Yeah, sure. So um, in case you can't tell from my name, I am Nigerian. Uh, So my parents came um, into the UK uh, as students, actually, in the 70s and 80s. And they met while they were here and decided that they were going to settle here and be here. Um, And so they had like myself and my siblings. Um, I'm the second of four kids in, in the UK. Um, And then, uh, like, my mum and dad got divorced um, around the time I was, like, 11. So we ended up being raised just by my mum. My grandma actually came over and helped raise us, too. Um, And I went to school in East London. Um, So at the time, I'm showing my age here a little bit, but at the time, you didn't need to go to um, school post-16. So you could, uh, like, stop at 16 and then start working. And because a lot of the um, students at uh, in my kind of area didn't really go on to higher education or into like college education our school stopped at 16. Uh, so I then went to another state secondary school in Essex. Um, I was really lucky uh, and made my way to Oxford and studied law um, and then I took two years out after university. One because I didn't get any graduate job offers um, and two because I wanted to live my life. I was quite young for my year um, and then luckily in the year after I finished university I ended up um, getting a training contract offer at Latham and I've been training at Latham since 2016 but started the LPC in 2015 Uh, so I've been an associate now um, for the last three yeah just over three years. Yeah wow and congratulations on all of that you've packed that in there's a lot you've achieved there in a very short space of uh, minutes but thanks so much for sharing that so I guess following on from from all of that what would you say are the major challenges you've had to overcome so far in your legal career? Um, that's a really good question, actually. In my legal career, I suppose there, there are two main ones, right? I think one of them is lack of exposure. Um, and actually, I think they're kind of intertwined. So lack of exposure and lack of awareness. So as a um, you know, first generation British person, immigrant family, my parents are coming from learning how to up like 
bring up kids in Nigeria and hoping for the best that that can kind of be transposed into the UK, which then means that kind of the things that would work quite well in Nigerian society don't work as well. Some of them do, but not all of them work as well when you get here um, in, in the UK, which then meant that it spent, I spent a lot of my time trying to understand exactly what it meant to be a solicitor, be a lawyer, be an associate. And that I think hindered a lot of my applications in my second and third year. Um, and then it was also just not understanding what else is out there. Had I known that there were other careers outside of being a lawyer, I don't think I would have changed. Like, I really do love my job. So I don't think I would have chosen a different career. But I definitely feel like I would have had different experiences for me to make sure that this is exactly what I wanted to go into. So I think that's had an impact. The, the lack of exposure, or not lack of exposure is the wrong word, I think. I think it's more the um not being as aware of what's out there and then as a result not being exposed to the different careers that one could take I think has had an impact on my career as a whole in terms of my legal career that means that you are learning a lot on the job like you're learning how to do the job and then also learning the soft skills um that you need to do to be a lawyer and to be a professional in general and those are things that I thankfully have had mentors and sponsors to help me along that road but if you don't have those individuals you end up thinking that you could just do the job and that's not part of it you need to learn how to do the soft skills and also the job as well um so yeah I think it's probably those two are the, the ones that stand out to me the most yeah, and you gave some really good practical advice there. And for people who may be not so familiar with sponsors, you mentioned mentors and sponsors. What's the difference in your your, your view? Yeah, so um, I actually got this really great, and shout out to um, Io Gabriel, who is a wealth manager at Goldman Sachs. He provided this amazing analogy, which I think is exactly like, it fits my life a lot, actually. So um, imagine, like, so he, he was saying, imagine you're going to a party, right? And so you are going to this, like, you know, top of the range, really popular club and um, you are going with your girls or with your guys or whatever and those in like in the work context are your peers so for me it's largely the people that I like came up with I trained with are in my like department around my same level and those are like in the analogy my girls and guys I go to the club with so they provide me the support that I need they provide me the enjoyment that I need but they're like you know kind of capped at what they know so they know what they know then your mentor is somebody once you get into the club who's like hey like this is the person that you need to speak to if um you know you want to get some drinks or this is the person that you need to speak to if you want to like get into the vip section or this is the person that you want to speak to if you want to speak to the dj and get the music that you want to listen to um and then your sponsor is actually somebody who's been at the party for a very long time and knows the club owners, knows the various different people who are there. And so has spoken to the bouncer and says, hey, Chidi's coming with her friends, so please let her in and she'll show you her ID and let you know who Chidi is. And then she goes to the person who is at the VIP section and is like, hey, Chidi is coming, so please make sure there's space for her when she comes. And goes to the DJ and says, like, Chidi, Chidi loves um, Afrobeats, and so please make sure when she comes that you're playing her Afrobeats. And then it means that once you get into the place, you just go through, right? You the, the bouncer knows that you're coming. You've got the VIP section sorted and the music is there. Um, the reason why I love that analogy is because it shows the different roles that the mentor and sponsor plays in a workplace. Your mentor will basically provide you with the intel, but it's for you to make those introductions and make it work for you. Whereas your sponsor is kind of speaking in rooms that you're not present in to allow it to be easier for you to do the best that you can. 
but it requires you to do some work, right? You can't just go to the party and sit down and be as boring as ever. And people are like, I don't know why she's here. Like she obviously isn't enjoying herself. Why don't she go home? And the same thing with work, right? You can't just have your sponsorial mentor tell you all these various different things about how it is that you can create a really great career for yourself and then you not perform or you perform substandardly or in a way that doesn't align with their reputation and what they need from you. And so I think that that analogy is one of the, the best analogies I've heard um, and it's quite an easy way to understand the difference between mentor, sponsor and then the work that you need to do as the mentee and sponsee, I think, is the equivalent. <laughs> yeah, and I absolutely love that. Brilliant. Yeah, I love that nightclub analogy. I was having great visions of myself and I used to be at nightclubs <laughs> when you're saying that, going into VIP and having drinks and all of that. You're bringing back loads of exactly. memories. But anyway, we can, go, we can go somewhere completely different with that. So you're currently, as of today, an associate at the world-leading Latham & Watkins. So tell us a bit about what your role encompasses and the types of clients you've dealt with and currently dealing with. Yeah, of course. So I'm an associate in our project finance and development team. And for those who may not know what project finance or development finance is, in essence, it's the financing of like projects in largely like emerging markets. So if you think about your roads, your pipelines, your airports, your trains, etc., in largely emerging markets, a lot of the time the government doesn't have the budget to be able to fund the development of those projects. So what it does is it goes to external um, institutions, either in country or out of country, so within the country that they um, govern or the you know, countries around the globe and say, hey, we've got this really great project. So we think that it's going to be create like fantastic cash flows and it's going to be a real benefit to our country, but also to you as the person who's provided the financing, please can you give us financing? And then the financiers, so the lenders or other kind of um, agencies that provide financing to that project will look at the project and say, okay, I can get comfortable with being able to lend this money out the door on the basis that this project would create cash flows. And the easiest way to um, kind of align it is if you're thinking about um, like an airport. So pre-COVID, when everybody was able to go on holiday whenever they wanted and no PCR tests and no ambulance and no quarantine and all that kind of stuff, you could just go today, buy a ticket for tomorrow and hop on a plane. And you know that your ticket isn't just the cost it takes you to get from, um, you know, A to B. You obviously need to pay your taxes, your um, carrier fees, your charges and all that kind of stuff. And it's those taxes charges and carrier fees that if you are a lender who's lending into an airport you'll look at to make sure that there's enough revenue there so that you can make sure that you get your cash back and so the way it works in project financing is the cash flows so that, that like little bit at the bottom which it, like normally makes up like maybe 50 to 60 percent of your ticket price um it needs to be sufficient and robust enough to kind of operate and maintain the project so in the case of an airport it needs to allow you know maintenance to take place the cleaning staff to be able to clean um the uh pilots to be paid the air um, flight attendants to be paid and all that kind of stuff everything that needs the airport to run and then the next thing for the most part is to pay back the people who have lent it who've lent into the property into the project so if you're thinking about like lenders or financiers they need to make sure that they get their money back plus interest and then um, the government or any sort of sponsor will also need to make sure that they get some sort of return. So they get some sort of benefit from the fact that they've put together this project. And the idea behind it is that you're developing the emerging market. So I largely work in Africa and the Middle East and part of Europe. 
so you're developing that country, but also making sure that everybody, every other stakeholder, so the lenders and the sponsors, get some sort of money and get some sort of return back as well. Yeah, I love that. And thank you again for being so detailed in, in what you do. And that was kind of dovetails very nicely because I was going to say you were a member of the firms or are a member, should I say, of the firm's Africa practice. And, you know, you do a lot of innovative legal solutions to clients doing businesses in Africa. So has there been any sort of standout projects or things you've been involved in that you could tell us that you've been particularly like impressed or wowed by that you didn't think possible when you first came into the firm or didn't have knowledge about? Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, a lot of our clients are like governments or key stakeholders. Like we don't do corporate financing. So if you think about, I don't know, um, trying to think a corporate, I don't know, like a HP or Dell or Apple, they for the most part will have some sort of like financing and some sort of lending because leverage is, is king in the finance world. Um, we don't do that kind of stuff. That's a different type of financing. Our leverage finance group covers that. So a lot of the work that we do are with governments. And so it's quite cool, you know, to go into when we went into the office and now it's all via Zoom and Microsoft Teams. Um, but seeing like the minister of a country or um, the president of a country as they're trying to like, you know, sign into existence this piece of infrastructure which is going to develop the country. One of the things, and I suppose this is the closest, like the work I do I really love, but it's not like, I wouldn't call it sexy, um, but, but one of the, I suppose, the closest sexy adjacent work that I did um, was this deal that I did last year in Sweden. And that, I mean, right now, energy transition and climate change and renewable energy is something that's massive. And it's basically everything that our lenders are talking about at the moment. Um, and so if you are applying FYI and a team does a lot of finance work, factor that into your um, application process because it's everything that our lenders are talking about right now and so one of the um the deal that we did was the development of a um a battery car factory in sweden um, and as a result um we ended up working a lot with the European car manufacturers so your bmw your audi your volkswagen your um well, actually, now we're working with Porsche. Um, there was another one that I was like, oh, okay, I know that one. Um, but yeah, I'm not a car person, but there was another one in Germany that I was like, oh, <laughs> I've seen that. Um, and so that's probably the the most interesting deal I personally have done. I think at that time, I was like getting to be a second year, so getting a bit more responsibility in terms of the deal, starting to understand what Project Finance was trying to do. And so as a result of getting more responsibility and understanding the work that I was doing, it became a lot more interesting. And like I said, it was sexy adjacent, like I was working with BMW and Audi. There we go, love it. Love the way you link that, awesome. And now time for a short quiz. Can you guess how many of your prospective clients now expect to work with you online? If you guessed almost four out of five or 79%, you got it right. Want to learn more about where the future of the legal profession is headed? Then leading practice management software provider Clio has just released a resource I think you're all going to love. In their 2021 Legal Trends Report, they compiled data from tens of thousands of legal professionals to chart the major upcoming trends for law firms. The annual Legal Trends Report is released every October and you can get your copy for free at clio.com forward slash legal trends. That's C-L-I-O.com forward slash legal trends. Now back to the show. 
You don't stop st- stand still. You also, as I mentioned in my introduction, are the co-founder of the Ultimate Guide Group. So that's a platform which aims to give young people the key tools needed to succeed in their chosen field. So tell us a bit more about the platform and why you decided to co-found it with your friends. Yeah, no, sure. So the platform is literally, as you said, it's looking to empower in particular the black community through education on careers, wellness, mental health, financing, investing, property, etc. And it's essentially meant to be your guide to adulting. The idea behind it is that if you're ever thinking about investing or property or, you know, thinking about wellness or um, careers and working out how best you can position yourself to allow yourself to take advantage of some of the things that are out there that probably aren't as well known or that linking back to the exposure and awareness point that I was talking to you before, um, then it should be kind of like a light bulb. But you're like, oh, the ultimate guy group, I'm sure, will cover this. And so we're working through all of the content to be able to be able to, to provide that to um, our audience and our community. And so actually it got born out of COVID, to be honest. Um, one of the co-founders um, is a teacher now based in Dubai, but was based in Hackney previously. And so she had asked myself and my friend to come in and give a talk about like credit scores, credit cards, um, APR, etc., to her students. And so we had planned to do that in, I think it was March 20, like the 20th of March, 2020. And obviously lockdown happened the 16th of March, 2020. And so we were like, okay, no worries. Like everything has gone online now. Let's create a virtual session for it so we ended up doing our inaugural session um in like may 2020 and expected maybe like 10 or 20 people to be on the platform we ended up with a thousand people um on the platform because we just publicized it and then our friends had publicized it and their friends and had publicized it and got it out to teachers and various different places and it was a long session it was like two hours but it was actually quite meaty in terms of the advice that we were giving and then we realized that there was a gap that people wanted to find out this information but just didn't know where to go for it and so that's kind of where it was born and so now we're like eight, coming out to 18 months in terms of um like you know the since we created it um and we've got coming up to like 3,000 followers on Instagram and we've got a YouTube channel um, and we are looking to do a lot more stuff there's a lot of content and ideas in in the works Um, it's just you know life happens uh, but I think it is going to be a really great platform and we've got some really great feedback um, in in the last 18 months as well yeah and I'm I'm a massive fan of the platform and love what you're doing I think it's so great that current practicing lawyers going through the journey of giving back and you touched on it there as well you know you do monthly webinars you do courses you do instagram knowledge bites which i think are brilliant you know how can any listeners get involved or what could they expect you touched on it there there's more to come when it comes to the ultimate guide group in the future what can you sort of give us some snippets of so uh, if anybody does want to get involved do you feel free to follow us on instagram it's at the ultimate guide group and it's the same on um, youtube as well at the ultimate guide group we've got a couple of videos on there we've got a lot of content um on uh, the instagram platform as well um we have been contemplating in-person events uh, courses and newsletters and a lot of collaborations actually um working in the background so if you do want to get the first kind of um access to all of this stuff make sure that you're following us in the ultimate guide group on instagram and on youtube there you go there you have it folks and and talking of platforms um you know you recently produced i think posted helpful tips um about creating your linkedin profile you know i'm a big advocate for linkedin as most people know how important do you think linkedin is for 
for those going into the legal profession? And how do you think individuals can utilize that to their own advantage? Yeah, I mean, it's the same with like Instagram, right? How important is Instagram to like the Generation Z and to millennials? Like super important. Um, it's, you know, it's exactly the same. It's just a different social media platform. And LinkedIn is, you know, the Instagram for professionals. And so I think it's incredibly important. I do think you do need to make sure that you've um, really fine tuned your um, LinkedIn profile. It's not just meant to be there with like uh, an avatar, so no actual picture um, and then like think you haven't touched it in the last like 20 years it's been a great way for people like yourself Rob and a number of individuals um, I'm, I'm actually planning on doing another webinar and I've been invited to various other panel sessions as a result of my LinkedIn profile so I think it's incredibly important um, and people should definitely take some time out to get that curated to be the professional that you want to, to be um, and I would follow the ultimate guy group and check our posts if you are looking to update your LinkedIn profile. We went through bit by bit from like your URL up to your like skills and experience. So I think that's the best way for you. Definitely check it out, people. And I use the analogy with all of these different platforms. These are your digital real estate assets. You know, you've got to look after them and protect them and make them look good. It's like your own physical home as an asset. You wouldn't necessarily keep it very untidy. People come in and say, wow, that's a mess. You know, you're probably house proud. So when people come in, they're like, oh, wow, lovely. It was a nice scented candle. I got a drink on reception. You know, these digital assets are out there working for you 24-7. So you having that extension of your digital assets, promoting yourself and up to date is one of the best things you can do. And you never know who's looking. It could be that sponsor, could be that mentor, could be that future employer. So really take action and check out that information on the Ultimate Guide group. Okay, so we must move on because there's so much we need to get through. So you also <laughs> recently became the non-executive director of the Making of Black Britain. So a collaborative digital archive offering historians and future generations new insights and perspectives on this pivotal time in modern history. Can you tell us a bit more about the project and why you wanted to get involved? Yeah, of course. Um, so actually, the project should be launching at some point this month, um, or if not, um, early next month. But in essence, um, most people will, will know that kind of empire wind rush. So after the um, Second World War, that Britain invited a number of its Commonwealth subjects to come and rebuild um, the the UK after the Second World War. And so there was an influx of Black British people from the Caribbean, from Africa, and from all over the Commonwealth, in essence, um, coming to rebuild Britain. And one thing that we realised, in particular, as it um, relates to um, oral history, is that Black British history is almost non-existent. Um, we and our parents, um, I don't know, Robert, if it's the same for you, but I actually remember like writing letters to my auntie who's based in, in the States and writing letters to my like grandparents who, who were based um, before they passed away in Nigeria. Whereas um, actually the way in which both um, African history and Caribbean history is told is orally. Um, that's actually the best way that we as a people, and something actually that has sustained centuries of, of destruction and pillage, it continues. And that's the best way that we learn about our history. And so that was the genesis of the um, archive to make sure that we were kind of preserving what is commonplace amongst Black people 
globally. Um, but also making sure that we have that available for the next generation. So we have our written history, but also making sure that we have our oral history. And so um, we actually got involved as a result of um, Latham's Black um, Lawyers Group and the pro bono efforts. We um, talking, we've been talking for the last year and a half as we're trying to create the archive and get people involved and make sure that the legal documentation and the framework is as it needs to be, um, which has been fantastic and it's been great. And it's spearheaded by Diane, um, Diane Louise Jordan, who I think most people will remember is like, you know, the biggest celebrity on um, Blue Pizza. Um, I remember like watching her when I came back from school and stuff. Um, and so when uh, they were actually, they've come and take, taken my story. And so that also will be part of the archive. Um, so there's another place that people can find out a little bit more about me. Um, and then when, as a result of us having worked together for about 12 to 15 months um, and me giving my story, they were like, we have this really great question to ask you. Would you like to be um, our non-executive director? And considering that it's something that is incredibly important to me, um, like making sure that our history is preserved, but also preserved in a way that kind of harks back to the way that our cultures have developed over the centuries um, was really great. And so it was kind of a no brainer for me. Yeah, brilliant. And thanks so much again for going into detail to share that. And, you know, that again, moving on, you've also talked about how you are passionate about increasing diversity at top universities and in the legal profession and professions in the city. So what are your thoughts on black representation at partner level? Uh, they're pretty bad. Um, I think there was a report that came out that less than 3% of partners uh, in law firms are black. Um, and that is worrying, right? If you want to create a diverse workplace, people need to see representation. People need to see themselves represented in the individuals that are on top. And if you look at that number, the number of black women is even less than the 3%. I think it's like less than 0.1%. It's, it's a crazy number. And so um, it, it, is, it is something that I think a lot of law firms, in particular in the last 18 months, have paid like, attention to working out how best that they can retain and more importantly promote their black talent um, but it's something that we as a firm we as a profession all need to work out how we can move the needle in the right direction yeah and that leads to my next question because i was going to say in terms of diversity what would you say law firms may, might be doing well but also what do you believe still needs to be improved upon yeah no for sure so our firm I, one of the reasons why it will take a lot before, I mean, never say never, but I think it will take a lot before I leave Latham is because there is a combination of an amazing um, things that like really are important to me. So I have individuals that are kind of the top of their game in terms of the legal profession, both in London and like globally. Then I also have the ability to give back to the communities that raised me. So through my commercial work in Africa and then also um, pro bono work in East London, in particular the black community. But there's been a real focus on making sure that individuals are looking at the um, and sorry, the firm in general is looking at um, how best to recruit, retain and promote black talent. And one of the things I think the profession um unfortunately it does um, is group all kind of ethnic minorities together, which is like not 
it just doesn't make sense, right? Because what is what is facing a Persian man is different to what is facing me as a black woman, and what faces, uh, you know, um, a Southeast Asian woman is different to what faces my friends as born and raised Africans who came over to London to study. Um, and so that's one of the great things that Lethem is doing. I think that the last 18 months have been difficult for everybody. And what we need to be doing now is working out how it's impacted in a different way, if not more intensely, those individuals of colour, in particular black people. Um, and that's something that our firm is sitting down and working out the strategies as to how we correct the 18 months of destruction is the wrong word but it's been a very um like what's the word when it's almost like not groundbreaking but it has completely shaken the table I suppose to, to use a colloquial term and so we just need to like readjust and work out what we can be doing to rectify those 18 months and that lost connection that we've had within the Black Lawyers Group. Yeah, no, really, really well said, Chidi. And just to sort of wrap up, you were recently featured in this year's Involve Heroes Women Role Model List 100, Women Future Leaders, which showcases leaders who are championing women in business and driving change for gender diversity in the workplace. Firstly, how do you manage to do all of this? And what does it mean to you to be recognised in this way? Um, I I don't know. Uh, I I ask myself this a lot, actually. I don't know where I find the energy and the time. Um, and I, I'm really thankful that I'm a person that if I'm like, if I tell you that I'm going to sleep, I'm going to sleep straight away. Like I can sleep standing up and like I can also have very deep sleep as well. So then it means that like if I get into bed, like now at like you know 138 I'll be asleep which is great which then means that I can maximize the time that I do get to sleep so I suppose that's how I do it <laughs> and then um, to be recognized it was like honestly such an honor and um, I couldn't believe it when we got the email around so we found out actually like a couple of months before um, I was actually in like Mexico when I um, found out which was great to see um, and then uh, yeah the on like the support that I got from everybody, the support from the firm, like partners from all around the world, um, partners that have now kind of moved into, like I said, we have people who are at the top of their game. So some, quite a few of our lawyers have now gone into the Biden administration in, in DC. So, you know, lawyers who are part of the Biden administration, like messaging me being like, well done. Um, it was it was great. And it was like a really fun, like my mum's WhatsApp, which is still me. And uh, <laughs> we all were. So it's quite nice to like do myself proud, but also do my family proud. Yeah, really, really well done. So, Jenny, if people, which I'm sure they will, want to follow or get in touch about anything we discussed today, what's the best way for them to do that? Feel free to shout out any website, links or relevant social media. And we'll also make sure we share them with this episode for you, too. No, of course. Um, I, I mean, you can follow me on LinkedIn. I, I just don't know when I'll get to it. I, it's not really for me the place that I go to very often. Uh, even though you should, <laughs> you really should. <laughs> um, but I, I need to get a lot better at that. So, um, if uh, feel free to add me on LinkedIn. Um, it's Chidi on Yachty. And then um, the the way that you get an instant and fast response is to send me a message on the Ultimate Guy Group on Instagram, um, or to like send me some sort of DM. I, I definitely will respond there. Ah, brilliant. Well, thank you so, so much, Chidi. It's been a real pleasure and tons of fun having you on the show. Wishing you lots of continued success with your legal career and thank all your you. wider disputes. <laughs> all of us on the show, over and out. 
This week's review comes from Maria Horostovsky. Entertaining and educational. Love Rob's energy and for asking thought-provoking questions. Thank you so, so much for your lovely, kind review, Maria. We really appreciate it from all of us on the Legally Speaking podcast.